from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. Beautiful people, top designer clothes, front row fashion shows, what you do and who'd you know, inside the world of beautiful people, champagne and roll up nose, prenups and broken homes, surrounded but still It's Tuesday, August 6, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios on the ones and twos, our illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. Hi. <laughs> oh, that's new. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. In Nashville, Tennessee, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Howdy, folks. And just down the street there in Nashville, podcaster, speaker, author, cowgirl extraordinaire, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Hey, before we get started today, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Tyndale House Publishers' new book, Healing Depression for Life. 30% of depression sufferers don't gain lasting relief from common interventions. Uh, Dr. Gregory Jans, founder of one of the top 10 depression treatment centers in America, shares hope for lifelong healing in his book, Healing Depression for Life. The book prescribes a holistic approach addressing six areas that cause depression giving you a path to long-lasting depression relief once and for all. You can pick up your copy of Healing Depression for Life. It's in bookstores everywhere. That's an important topic. Well, today's a an unusual show, a special show for us. Normally, a little behind-the-scenes magic, we record the podcast with a little buffer. We, 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 we'll do it like on a Monday for a Tuesday release, right? But because Jesse and I were traveling and Annie was traveling and everybody was traveling, we are recording this thing right before you hear it. It is Straight fresh. Fresh. <laughs> Hot is, out of the this oven. This is no net. a tightrope walk over Times Square with no net. Just <laughs> screaming people under us. That's all this is. So if we fall, <laughs> listeners, it's on you to catch us. Understand? Right. And, and right. what the listeners all know is actually you say that about once a month. <laughs> Karen. That is true. It's, that is true. Never gets well, old. It's always it's always a thrill. It's a surge of a. This is a roller coaster. This is us taking off right now. Wow! It's that pre-anticipation adrenaline rush as it's going. So I just have to actually nobody was nobody was traveling yesterday. We just love the thrill. We just love the adrenaline. We just love the thrill. Oh my gosh! You're trying to kill me. Yeah, basically. Um, Chandler, there's a new book out called Healing Depression for Life. Uh, might want to check out. Uh, Jesse and I were in Chicago this weekend That's for right. our That's annual trek to Lollapalooza, which was a blast. It always is. Always is. The especially good lineup this year. Childish Gambino. Uh, we saw Death Cab for Cutie. And then guess who comes out at the end of Death Cab? They bring out Chance the Rapper. Maybe you heard uh, of them. Like, yeah, you might have heard of them. Uh, speaking of which... Have you seen his Twitter going? What he's saying on Twitter? This no, week? what's he doing? What's going well, on? Nobody likes to? nobody likes his album. What? Nobody likes his new album, including so Jesse. His, actually, Jesse told me it's not the top of the albums. I remember. So his his all of his other albums were independent mixtapes. They were independently yeah. done. He owned the masters. He owned everything. And he made a big deal about like owning his own legacy and stuff like that. And then he he's he I heard him on an interview with Zane Lowe and he was talking about like, well, 
he was justifying to himself his switch over to a major label after he was kind of like the cream of the crop winning Grammys as an independent artist. Like why, why go to a label? And he was like, well, you know, life is short. No matter, no matter um, what you believe in the afterlife or whatever, uh, if you're an artist, you, you know, the time you will not be on earth is, you know, obviously far greater than the time you are on earth. So if your work is going to live on beyond you, who cares who owns the masters? That's how he justified it, right? Mm. So who cares who owns the masters? So I kind of went all in, did the major label thing, big budget thing, whatever. Well, the response is that, I mean, it kind of killed the magic. I mean, like it's like a fine album. It's about yeah. marriage. It's called the big day and, and it's fine and happy and all that stuff. But people are calling it like camp counselor rap. You know, it's like, it just kind of, he lost his I, I, I did see so, someone, someone called it, uh, Disney Channel rap. I saw, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> so like, so like, so yesterday on Twitter, look, just look up at Chance's Twitter I'm feed. I'm reading from it. Morning. It's crazy. He's talking about like, I feel like people want me dead and da da da, and like it's like, and he went on a rant. He went, he tweeted so long Monday morning that he missed the breakfast at Chick Fil A, which was right. the final tweet. And he was like, guys. Dang it! Opening up to y'all, I lo- I missed the window. You know, yeah, particularly well, breakfast. That's the real. That's the real victim here. I I I feel like, I mean, obviously, I have an empathy for anyone who is hurt by, uh, you know, social media interactions. But I do feel like if you're an artist and you're living in the public, uh, you know, you're a public figure and you're making art and you're putting it out there in the world especially if you're profiting off of it to the level that Chance is. I mean, Chance is a global celebrity, a multimillionaire who's under the age of 30. Like, that is incredible accomplishments. But I feel like the trade-off there is you have to be willing to absorb criticism of your work. Like, no one's forcing you to put out, you know, these creative projects that are up for interpretations in terms of, like, the quality. And if you want the adulation and you want uh, the praise, then you also have to be comfortable with a certain degree of criticism, especially if you're taking artistic risk, which, y- you know, I think anytime, uh, y- you know, you do something that's kind of your own brand, like Chance is very good about developing a sound that sounds like Chance the Rapper. So anytime you're like taking a risk and doing something uh, on an individual level, you have to be willing to be able to like absorb some of that criticism, whether you feel like it's fair or not, you know. Did y'all see yesterday also in, in the same vein beth moore tweeted a similar thing yesterday where she said i just want to ask a favor of you friends except that i'll always have haters like it's just she's just come around like y'all don't have to defend me all the time like this is part of the deal you know and and i think the more anyone using the internet not even someone who is is making art needs to recognize that there is a chance you are going to get unkind pushback just for being public yeah, yeah, if enough people know who you are, you're gonna get people right. who don't like you. Yeah. So my thing is, if you're known that you're, you know, you're sensitive. I mean, you're maybe even insecure about the project. He was literally working on the album up until the day it released. Yeah, like changing things. Like the reason why it didn't come out at midnight on the Friday morning, like every other album, it came out midday on Friday, is because Friday morning he was still recording it. It was insane. What? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was tinkering and tinkering and tinkering until the very end. The Zane Lowe interview, the Apple Music interview, uh, was recorded the day before the album dropped, okay? He still had to write the third verse for one of the songs that day. The day before it was coming out. So he was we don't get to the do that end. in book world. 
It don't work like that's a roller coaster I don't want to be on. <laughs> well, he's on that Kanye West interview because that yeah. was famously yeah. why why Pablo. But, but I mean, but we've done that with the magazine and like content. Like we'll make changes right up yeah. to the finish that's line true. to make sure it's like as good as we possibly can. But you know. but that that shows to me an insecure. Not well, that's not true because when we're doing it, it's I was about to just say, we're doing that right now. We're so. procrastinating <laughs> now because we're insecure about. It. <laughs> <laughs> we're not trying to. Pro- it if I would it would have helped if we started the cover story before the morning. <laughs> And we actually decided who the cover story would be, other than just making up an interview. Uh, so yeah, but, but my, fairness, my thing is like, but if he's tinkering until literally the day it's coming out and past the time it was supposed to come out, there's an insecurity about the project. If you know that you're a a sensitive artist, b not quite as confident as you want to be for the big major label debut. I would say stay off social media for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like if you're a recovering alcoholic, don't go out with your friends at the bar. You know, like don't put yourself in that in that negative space. Yeah. You need to have healthy boundaries if you know that about yourself. And so I'm saying with Chance or artists like Chance, like for me, I would be incredibly and in, I'm not an insecure person, but if I'm creating art that people are going to like trash, I don't ignorance is bliss. I don't need to hear it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm like, I just need to live my life. I made oh, what yeah. I made and let it, you know, let it be what it is and whatever. I'm not gonna sit there and like watch all the comments. You know what I mean? That would that would drive me crazy. That's why well, I don't read it, Amazon reviews on any of my books because the work is done. We did the best smart. we could, and yeah. I'm not gonna make everybody happy. And what right. actually happens, and what chance is showing, what happens to a lot of us who create, and y'all y'all know this feeling too, is that. When you hear the unkindness and when you hear people not like your work, it paralyzes you to think you shouldn't keep doing your work. Right. And so yeah. you just and that's can't, what was happening. You, you can't. That's what's happened to chances. Yeah. He is some version of emotionally paralyzed by the idea that his album is not what people want. And you that's you can't do that after you make your art. You just can't. Um, you can't or listen to or that. you can have a cold, darkened heart like me and just not care if people are trashing you on social media for something you've written. I, I was, <laughs> it was funny. I was listening to an interview. Uh, no, I was, I was listening to Bill Simmons talk about one of the challenges he's had at The Ringer, his website and podcast network uh, that covers sports and pop culture, is a lot of people who work for him are in their 20s and 30s. And they can't help themselves. They always look at the comments and they always look at the Twitter replies. And they always, you know... You know, inevitably, only when when people uh, take the time to write something uh, 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 that's criticism and responses to to a piece of work that's out there in the world. Usually, if they're taking the time, it's because they have a strong opinion on the negative side. That's just human nature. You feel an impulse to share your negative feelings, not your positive ones. And so he made the analogy of like reading all of those Twitter replies and reading what people are to say. It's as if you are an athlete on the field and you went into the stands and you went to every heckler and was like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to absorb every heckle and then I'm going to move on to the next guy and take his heckle and heckle, <laughs> heckle, heckle. And it's like, no, you got to block it out. Like it, it's it's absurd that social media has created this impulse that we want to read every negative thing that someone has to say. That's the only time you know, because of the, the digital delivery system and how easy it is in an interface format to read the criticism that we have an impulse to actually do it where in other parts of life you can create, you can set up healthy boundaries. But also, is it us who've talked about this recently about the the fear and the challenge of making work after you've been really successful with the work before? I mean, like 
That is, well, yeah. That is another paralyzing part of this for him. Is you get used to the praise, yeah, yeah and, and everything you make after the thing that blew up is never going to live up to the thing that blew up. You know, uh-huh. like nothing that you make after the one that suddenly makes you the thing everybody looks at or the person everybody listens to, that becomes the new bar instead of that being extraordinary. And so yeah. then he yeah. releases an album that y'all don't feel is as extraordinary as the one that blew your mind. And and how do you recover from that? How do you keep making art when the world says I, you've already made the best thing you could make? Listen, I I have been. Oh, you're going to make the, a joke, and we were having I, a real conversation. I, I have been living in the shadow of a listicle <laughs> called "What Your Pastor's Genes Say About Their Theology" for years now. Just living in this dark shadow. Will anything I ever write be as red as that? Annie, you think hey, worst case scenario, Annie? People are getting life inspiration from you even if the best thing you ever wrote is already out there in the world i'm sure it's not i'm sure you have dozens of Very incredible kind books of you, to hope. <laughs> uh, 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 le- you know still still left unwritten right. but like it, at least you have inspiration mine will be hey if future Google searches for my children will be about listening to Nickelback for 24 hours and doing the most absurd offensive quotes possible to BuzzFeed and writing a listicle about pastor genes. So let's keep it in perspective here. At the end of the day, Chance, if you remembered for a couple of great mixtapes, you're still remember for a couple of great mixtapes. At least you're not the, 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 the goon who listened to, who watched Nicolas Cage movies for 24 hours and had a story on MTV News go viral. Yeah. They could be worse, Chance. <laughs> I think that what, what's unique about Chance that other artists didn't experience. So other artists, a lot of them struggle, hustle. You know, nobody likes my music. I get better. You know, I. You know, you're playing little venues and you play medium venues and you build a fan base and and then you have a breakout album. You know, I mean, like Chance came out the gate as a mixtape as a, you know graduating high school and it exploded. And then on the second mixtape won Grammys. It exploded. He's never experienced criticism. Right. <laughs> you wow. know? He's, well, no, he's never experienced uh, you know, uh, yeah. commercial failure. He's never experienced any sort of audience backlash right. at all. You know, and everybody, it's adulation and he could do no wrong. And so I think it just, beca- I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't know him. I think he poured his heart and soul into this project. But when you get into major label, stuff and there's a lot of money flowing and there's a lot of lot of features and a lot of big names on this album there's a lot of expectations it can be paralyzing in the creative process and so like i think he's going he went with the flow you know he was like okay well this is how we have to do it i i just feel like it was a different creative process than his normal creative process and it changed the product you know and so but he's like kind of swept up in it and also i'm chance and i've never kind of whatever I do is magic. So, okay. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden it comes out the other side and it's not the uniquely thing, the unique thing that we love about Chance's music. And it's like, it lost something. And now he's second guessing everything about everything. You know what I mean? He's second guessing the decision to go to a major label. He's second guessing, you know, talking about his marriage and being positive. You know, he's second guessing everything about his life and what he's built. Sleeping an extra 15 minutes because he just missed breakfast at Chick-fil-A. The whole, the whole, the whole self-conscious infrastructure. I think that's the tough thing. So this isn't like I had a best-selling, you know, uh, album and I got to like top it. It's like, he, he, I don't even know that he went into it with that mindset, maybe. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. everything he touches is gold. And so it's like, oh, now what? 
now the emperor has no clothes. And so like, now what do you do? You know, like, I think, I think that's what he's dealing with is everything unraveled for him in about 48 hours. You know, and other artists have been here and good stuff has come out of it. Like this yeah. was, I think Kanye found himself in kind of a similar situation yeah. after 808s and uh, the, the insecure and that album has aged very, very well given its initial reception. And I think that he was able to turn a lot of that initial insecurity into something pretty special. Uh, and we don't need to get into where Kanye is at today in 2019, <laughs> but for a while there, what, what, the, the backlash really prompted a, a creative explosion that was pretty special. So there, Chance has got a long Chance has got a long ways to go. This isn't the we're not saying the death of Chance the Rapper's legacy is here or anything. No, no, like no. That. But it's it's a it's a come to Jesus moment of like who do I want to be as a creative? Because Kanye's the same. This is a great parallel. Kanye up until two thousand eight was one lane. He was backpack mm-hmm. rap. He was yeah, yeah. you know he had a certain sound, and then his mom passed away. And I was at Lollapalooza. He was performing in Chicago for the first time. And it was about two weeks after his mom passed away. And he came back home for the first time, right? And he, on stage, was like, this is my first time back home. I just came from the studio here in Chicago. And as soon as I'm done with this show, I'm going back. And about three weeks later, 808s dropped. Remember, it came out of nowhere. Uh-huh. He was he was recording it then. Yeah. He was processing yeah, yeah, yeah. his grief being in Chicago and he made it. And so what what 808s came out of the heartbreak and sense of loss, a different type of creative expression came out than people realized. Well, so you have your entire career being this one lane and all of a sudden this kind of U-turn happens and people didn't know what to do with it. But what happened then is he has now no expectations, no rules and every project was different from the previous one. Remember, he's just like, now there's no, no, I'm not in a template anymore. Right. And, and maybe, if, maybe if Chance wasn't 27, you know, maybe he, you know, maybe if Chance was 47, he would go, okay, now I can make other things, you know, like, yeah, yeah I did I the label like thing. So and now, young to be wrestling that. What I would do if criticism. I was him is like, okay, all you people who wrote checks that had say in my project, look at the response to your approach. Now give me the control back. Let me do what I do. You know, and, and like yeah. he's going to the good version is that he doubles down on Chance the Rapper coming out of this and stops leaning on the label stuff, you know, so we'll we'll see. It's interesting. Hey, but Karen, one other thing uh, uh, significant when we're at Lollapalooza, uh, we got a glimpse at uh, something that we've been wanting to, to talk about uh, for, for a little while ago. Okay, so we have to put a pre like I have to like put a parental warning on this. Sure, what? We, yeah. We do oh. not. We do not endorse. This is an endorsement. This is this the is thing co- that we're about to talk about. We yeah. cannot and will not. It is an R-rated, hard R-rated okay. experience. Oh, I'm up. And so hard we cannot and do not endorse Ch- this. Chandler, uh, finger on the finger on the edit button, Chandler. Yeah, finger on <laughs> but, the bleep out button. Chandler. I feel like because of the nature of it, it's something we have to be we somewhat knowledgeable to. about to in order because this is there's anthropological. Yeah. We <laughs> were curious because it's the intersection of faith and culture. At Lollapalooza, HBO had a big installation and a pre-screening tent for their upcoming Danny McBride comedy. Righteous gemstones. And we got it comes out August 18th. It debuts on HBO and it is a hard R HBO show. I'm warning you now. But Danny McBride. Of course. We got we got to see it. And Jesse and I were completely and totally, and do not judge us if this is not your thing, (laughs) completely and totally blown away. It was incredible. It couldn't have been better. It it is about it is 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 about so so in case you have thumbs up. Yeah, in case you haven't again, not an endorsement. 
No, just, I didn't per, it. On a personal yeah, level, you. we both really enjoyed it. But for, for As those individuals of, not representing Relevant Magazine, we yes, really enjoyed Jesse it. Jesse and Cameron, the individual human beings, really liked it. I don't know how Relevant feels about it. Relevant's very conflicted about it. No, so if, for those who, who aren't familiar, if you haven't heard uh, uh, previous week's shows where we discussed the show, uh, a real quick breakdown. Starts, uh, uh, John Goodman plays sort of the patriarch of a televangelism family. He's sort of an out of like an Oral Roberts and Joel Osteen and Jim B- and Tammy no, no, no. Faye Baker. Uh, uh, he older than older than Joel. He would have been the generation up there. I would say uh, persona. It's like a, a brother Hagen uh, meets yeah. Oral Roberts kind <laughs> yeah. of a demeanor. Uh, Ministry wise, it's a it's yeah. a Jim Baker is thrown in there and a Joel Osteen is thrown in there from an expression of what the ministry kind of built. But yeah. him as a character would be kind of that old school, you know, televangelist, you know, with the slick back hair kind of thing. Southern yeah. accent. Kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's John Goodman. Yeah. And so he is, you know, his two sons played by Danny McBride and Adam Devine uh, are, you know, kind of being brought up to eventually kind of carry the torch for the ministry. Uh, uh, Adam Devine's character is very much in the vein uh, in terms of the way he dresses and carries himself of like a Stephen Furtick type yeah, of for guy. Sure with he is. I'm looking at him right now. Yeah. And, and sure. you know, fancy jeans and shoes and, uh, you know, beanies and stuff. And Danny McBride is sort of, you know, living in the, the shadow of his father. They also have a sister who is very funny on the show. And the sibling dynamics uh, play a big role, but ultimately there's a lot of commentary about the prosperity gospel, about patriarchy in ministry, um, uh, about greed, and just about the whole uh, construct well, in the, in of the business of ministry in the business yeah. of ministry and mega mega yeah. churches and how mega churches affect smaller churches and. The thing that Jesse and I were blown away by, other than the outlandish, you know, over the top humor, which is where it crosses the line and we can't endorse it. I mean, is, it, it, but is the rated R-ness violence or sex or language or what's the... the uh, all of the above. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a Cohen... There's a Coen Brothers esque twist of uh, you know oh, yeah. a, a sort of the, the, you know the the Coen Brothers are known for like interjecting scenes of extreme violence that kind of come unexpectedly. Uh-huh. There's uh, a blackmail so, under undertone. There's a blackmail like through line on the plot um, yeah. of the ministry getting blackmailed. So there's there's this like you know it, it's guy. over the top in every way. But the thing that was so pitch perfect about it was the it, the, the thing that Hollywood has always gotten wrong almost always gotten wrong about depicting the church is it's these stereotypes of it's here's a suburban church with the pastor wears a priest collar with a black gospel choir and they just don't know what they're depicting. It's all stereotypes. This is so pitch perfect that you literally can spot the 1980s Jim and Tammy Faye reference here the Stephen Furtick reference here, the Joel Osteen stage here. I don't know. It was written and directed by Danny McBride. And so I'm going written and directed written. It was written. So pitch perfect on the inside. And this isn't like recent. This is like, understanding the Christian yeah. world from the eighties, nineties. Yeah. And now. He, yeah. Is he, what are we, and that's where we're he grew up. He grew up in that. Culture. Yeah, I, I, I did. He was raised in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a deep dive. Danny McBride, the Kenny Powers. 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> was not allowed to watch R-rated movies <laughs> growing up. <laughs> his mom did puppet ministry at church, and that's where he credits his ability to be a good storyteller, is that really? he learned it from her doing gospel stories. Uh, he knows the world. You know, the, 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 I was thinking about this too, Cameron. It's irony. Uh, the, the, the irony is there are two shows on television in recent years that I feel like got Christianity right in a lot of ways, like in terms of how it's depicted. Maybe not the heart of the gospel, but in terms of how modern the contemporary church is depicted. And both of them are HBO shows. Crashing got a lot right, and this show got a lot right in terms of the actual depictions and how recognizable the the church settings are you know yeah yeah Man, that's crazy it, and it's on it, hbo it, hbo yeah. august 18th uh, it was and it's a series right it's not is it like a series that'll keep running it's not like a mini series six, six, six it's a it's an hbo season which is six hour long episodes so okay. it's not that long yeah uh it's like crashing or whatever it's you know especially for a new one but i'm telling you we saw the pilot we saw the first one and and i mean i i we were I laughing mean, hours lot. later, Jesse and I would just kind of look at each other and think of another layer of, man, that was brilliant. I can't believe they got that. I can't believe they did that. Like, it was just so layered and so good. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So the Righteous but Gemstones. not endorsed. Do not watch it. But they even like the little touches stuff. like there's a guy in the church. Okay, you guys all grew up going to like, you know, kind of evangelical churches growing up. Maybe this wasn't right. just at mine, but there was always like one converted biker who was at the church, like some guy who left a real bad lifestyle and now <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. like, and like every church had right. one. Like, oh, there's Rick and he's got the, you know, right. his little like skeleton. Yeah, he's like an usher or something. Yeah, yeah. they even yeah. had that guy. They even had that guy—a <laughs> converted old Satanist who's now an usher, like with like a six 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 tattoo. Like if they just nailed like the little touches, like you even like the long haired electric guitar players that was you know a staple of like late nineties evangelical kind of churches. It was like a per- perfect, like I said, sort of amalgamation of the funniest things about that world done in a way that was actually pretty accurate visually you know the thing the thing about the ministry was like uh the patriarch john goodman and his wife back in the 80s and stuff were like very successful like jim and tammy fame type ministry so they have these kind of vintage references and posters and albums and things like that show clips the the mom has passed away at the time of the show at this point but you know goodman's reminiscing and stuff but but then to then the ministry today is very much a Joel Osteen service experience. So the high production value, the the Christian rock worship band. The, I like the, the younger brother being the Furtick kind of character. That's yeah. not <laughs> who, would you, uh, you. who would you say is the target? Demo. Who, who are, who's the uh, show going to appeal to? Well, uh, Jesse, here's the thing. Jesse and I were at Lollapalooza yeah, and there was yeah, a yeah. huge installation promoting it, right? And mm-hmm. he and I are both looking around going, this isn't the crowd for this show. You know, like... Sure, sure. And so, like, I don't know. And I don't know that HBO Did knows. the crowd not dig it? They weren't really attending, really. Like, no, yeah, they I weren't. mean, like, it was an air-conditioned tent showing the show on loop like every hour. And it was like, it was this huge and huge structure built in the middle of Grant Park. And, and we were in there with a smattering of 12 people and there was probably set up for 150, you know, well, and there's it, a lot going on at Lollapalooza. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? like it's sure. probably not the best place. Yeah. To the, I was like, this is more of a South by Southwest type show. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. it just was seemed like an odd play. I don't know that HBO knows who their crowd is for this. Yeah. You know? but, but, but I felt like the merits, like the, 
it, just on the merits of the comedy, the writing, the characters, and the storyline, I feel like even if you don't aren't familiar with that world, you probably won't have as deep of appreciation as someone like you know any of us, or if you're listening to this podcast, we'll probably have. But it's like you could still, even if you don't don't know anything about professional baseball, you could still like Eastbound and Down. Like right, you, right, you know, you right. might not get sure. all the touches and the references to like the Bash Brothers and stuff, but you can still like it as a show. But the levels of commentary, like Cameron, you were saying, you know, showing how like. They, they, you know, they really portray these guys' views in a lot of ways, retrograde and harmful, but not just when it comes to greed, even just how their ideas about how they treat women and their spouses. And when it comes to like leadership and stuff, they, they're, they're making commentary that is, is more than just right at the surface. They're, they're saying some things that I feel like it takes that that's important to say, you know. Uh, we'll move the show along. Stay tuned. Up next, it slices. Listening to Fits in the Tantrums, the song is I Just Want to Shine. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Ed Sheeran and Khalid with their single, Beautiful People. Well, today's show is also brought to you by Quip. What's the easiest way to ease back into a routine? Start it up before September. That's what I say. Simplify the morning and evenings now with a simpler electric toothbrush from Quip. With Quip, time sonic vibrations cover the basics, every part of your mouth. And just take uh, two minutes, twice a day. The mirror mount that comes with uh, your Quip toothbrush puts brushing front and center in your bathroom so you'll remember to book in the day using your new brush. And the lightweight compact design means you can bring it along with you on those last summer weekend getaways. So enjoy sleeping in and ease back into the swing of things with a smile. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. And brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks. A friendly reminder when it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. I love Quip. It looks like a Tesla designer meets an Apple designer made a toothbrush. It's incredible. And that's why I think you should get it too. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash relevant right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at GET. Q-U-I-P dot com slash relevant. All right. It's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right. Well, Cameron, I think you'll find this one a a good news story. Um, This is uh, uh, researchers in England recently wanted to see how effective these new, uh, you know, kind of mindfulness apps are. So mindfulness is sort of having a moment. Annie, are you familiar with kind of the mindfulness trend at all? Yes, Totally. You know, where where it, it's sort of this, um, you know, exercises to kind of keep yourself present and yeah. to not be distracted and to kind of de-stress. So a lot of app as makers. A, as, as you say that, I'm looking at both of their faces and they're doing other things. No, I'm not. I'm listening to Jesse. <laughs> meditating. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's meditating. Annie is locked in right yeah. now. Uh, he called my name. I'm very <laughs> much true. listening. So, so the one-on-one conversation. The the mindfulness, you know, uh, trend has spawned these apps where you know it walks you through breathing exercises. It walks you through kind of thought and meditation exercises. 
and different things that you can do in the moment to make yourself more present and to make yourself more mindful. Um, well, researchers in England wanted to find out just how effective they were at decreasing anxiety and making people less stressed out. Uh, so what better way to determine that than to get people, get a, a big sample size of people and to have them use mindfulness apps after a stressful day and to have another group of people play fun games on their phone after long oh, stressful <laughs> activities. Okay. No way. Uh, and particularly games that are like Tetris or Candy Crust. Crust. Crust? Candy Crust would be a you very good game. Cameron, yeah. he's a profesh at Candy Crust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you they, know, OG Candy Crush, the load-in screen says, Candy Crush, swipe your stress away. Well, mm-hmm. well, oh, then, then you'll appreciate the, the findings of the study. I'm going to read oh, some. No. Th- this is from Study Finds, the website, uh, who did an analysis of the study. It says, those who played the game after work repeat, re- reported feeling significantly more relaxed and in control at the end of the week compared to the meditation app users. In fact, participants who completed a, a beginner's course on a popular mind mindfulness app actually scored progressively worse on relaxation ratings throughout the week. The moral of the story is don't beat yourself up for playing cell phone games. That's so surprising. <laughs> it does surprise me. It makes I'm sense surprised that it me. was it, notable. It, it wasn't even just that it was like, oh, slightly higher. If It was like, no, having to walk through all these exercises were kind of stressing people out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like having so to go through. the mindfulness app was actually, it wasn't a zero, it wasn't that zero effect. It actually had a negative overall effect. Yeah, they, they actually made people feel a little more stressed out because it's like another chore to do where anyone who I feel like plays like a, a has a game that they like on their phone. They know that feeling of kind of instant like, OK, I can just get a little mini break here and just take yeah. something enjoyable. Take, take the edge off. Yeah. So you no longer have to, you know, I don't know anyone who feels bad about playing games, but now you have scientific f- evidence that's making you more mindful and less stressed. I mean, out, I wonder so. if it is that idea that that fun is underrated, which, you know, I'm always going to talk about, but yeah, yeah. that sounds, that's up Annie's alley. Right. (laughs) Right. But you don't don't play, you're not a video game. You don't, do you have a game uh, on your phone, Annie? No, no, maybe you should. Maybe that's, but I do have a ton of fun. So I don't, that's just not particularly my version of fun today, but I do like candy crush. Cameron and I have talked about that before. I love candy crush. When I get really stressed out these days, I tweet at Chance the Rapper and let him know how much I dislike his album. And I just feel the stress (laughs) just melt away. It's just an exercise in stress. (laughs) And he cares. He like really cares. So you need to tell him. He's he's going to read it. He's going to read it probably over and over again. He's probably going to stew on it and think about it. And here's what I say about honesty the best policy no matter what and <laughs> listen you shouldn't go on as poppy the death cap song's a fun novelty but that would have been like a great little you know side thing uh, to anchor the album chance i just not just don't know okay uh last one um you know because i always have a twofer and i saw this and i could not talk about it um all right have you guys ever wondered because I've never really thought about it until i came across this story but have you ever wonder like why uh, animals have tails. Like, what purpose do tails serve? Like, why did God put tails on certain animals? Have you guys ever? Th- oh my even, gosh! Have never you ever thought about balance. I thought about balance, this. right? I, I would assume like some sort of balance. Oh, thing. balance! Yeah, because there are some yeah. monkeys who use it to help. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, monkeys can loop it around the things and hold on and hang. Sure, and swing if you have a prehensile, stuff. then. You, but otherwise, I would just horses' assume it's tails like a, help them from getting flies all over them. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, specifically tails in like monkeys and cats and animals like big cats, like uh, animals of that nature. Tyler, you're right. The the tails help tremendously with balance. Uh, part of the reason why monkeys and cats are so agile is because they have tails that are, are you know, they can move kind of at will and it helps offset weight in their body, especially if they're jumping around. So uh, uh, this, this uh, Japanese design company uh, called Arc has developed a mechanical tail. All right. And it's it's a set of vertebrae and you can add more vertebrae in there. Almost imagine if you had like the uh, if you went gone to the Smithsonian and seen like the T-Rex tail where it's just like a series of linking bones. It's like that, but more slender. Uh, Uh You you put on a harness and the tail is behind you and it's powered by hydraulics. And basically (laughs) almost sort of like, you know, how like a, 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 a Segway or one of those little hoverboards, you know, they 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 have little uh, measurement uh, functionality that can that can interpret weight and balance and things. That's essentially what this tail does. The tail moves to counter uh, uh, your your body weight. So here's some of the applications. Uh, like this is what Gizmodo uh, uh, pointed out. It could assist workers tasked with lifting or carrying heavy objects, like an exoskeleton suit that enhances the capabilities of the wearer's muscle. The tail works to counterbalance so that less force is required to lift something off the ground. Uh, but unlike an exoskeleton, the tail is far less complicated and easier to take on and off the ground. So like in a video demonstration of how this could be used, they show like an office worker carrying a couple of very large boxes of files up a, up a set of stairs. And like first he's do, he like, does it without whoa, the tail. He's, yeah, and he's kind of leaning back like, whoa, oh, whoa, 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 where are these files going to go? <laughs> or, you know, you could imagine they could also do it with a bunch of like cream pies. That would have been a better example because it would have been uh-huh. hilarious to see him throw them up in the air and somehow he looks to be like where are the pies gonna land and they all land directly on a set was this part shot in black and white with the voiceover there's like, are yeah, you with, like, tired of lifting <laughs> off the, without a tail but then they put the tail on and they can perfect easily carry these boxes up because it counterbalances and oh, so then like he goes, whoa 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 he just like sits back on the tail uh, well, well, the tail doesn't face. even hit the ground. It just like ca- counterbalances his weight. So he never has to lean back. Like it, it has functionality to give you extreme agility and balance uh, because it, Does it look your, stupid. It looks incredibly stupid. It looks <laughs> like you're wearing a sure. giant mechanical tail, Annie. <laughs> and that's my problem with it, because I'm picturing like a, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, Hardy guys and gals working at like the, you know, loading trucks at like UPS or something, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, Frank, hand me that box. And, you know, he, I, I always expect those people to be wearing that, the, that big, thick belt, like the weightlifters belt is like a back yeah. harness. Those sure. look ridiculous enough. Okay. Because you got to put them on top of your shirt. It's very unflattering. I've never seen somebody wear one of those belt back braces on the outside of your clothes. Without it look very unflattering. It just uh-huh. does weird things to the shirt. You know, it puffs up over. It just not, a, it just doesn't always look good. It's better than a tail. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
there are engineers. Andy, you were talking about earlier, like, you know, your life's work defined by one great achievement and how difficult that would be. At least you're not the guy who invented this tale. <laughs> like, yeah. like, hey, what is, your, what is the thing? You got a degree in engineering. You've worked your whole life to understand balance, mobility, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the mechanics of all this stuff. He's like, yeah, I built a big exoskeleton tail. Like, it's a giant <laughs> tail. You strap it mind, on and you I'm wear a tail. Like, how long are we talking about? Are we talking like, is this like a three, three feet? Foot, three about three tail? feet. Yeah. A okay. three okay. foot tail. And but you can add it, longer Does vertebrae. it look more like a monkey's tail or does it look more like a big dinosaur tail? It looks like it looks like a slender T-Rex tail. Like it's not it's not like like a monkey tail or like a panther tail or so or like a cat tail. It's just one, you know, slender thing. This looks more like you would see on like a dinosaur, like a triceratops yeah. without the horns sort of, you know. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it just seems like Obviously, the people, these people at the, the company's called ARC, uh, A-R-Q-U-E. Obviously, they know what they're doing. I would assume that they would know why they're investing absurd amounts of money into oh, weird it's development. it's so ugly. I just Googled it. It's so ugly. But I mean, a tail? Like, this is what humanity's greatest minds are doing right now. We have, we have all these problems that technology could help us solve. And we got a bunch of them working on a tail. A tail, a mechanical tail. Uh, I, I mean, I was impressed that it exists. It looks like your spinal cord just keeps going. That's, that's what, what I was it worried about. Like. That's what I. Yeah. That's what I see in my mind, and that sounds not only not only sort of ridiculous, but potentially uh, uh, creepy. Like this sounds yeah, like some yeah, sort of sure like, a, like a dinosaur person hybrid. Can, can yeah. you imagine going to Starbucks on your lunch break and you're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just I'm coming from work. I forgot to take the tail off. Just don't mind. It's going to kind of wave back there a little, you know." So, Jesse, right, that's yeah. my my question is, what did you Google that got you here? How did you find that people were making a mechanical Annie, tail? Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a long dark rabbit hole, and you don't want to follow me down. <laughs> All right, what do you have, Huck? All right, so this was a sort of an interesting one. I, I uh, obviously this is a a, a little bit of a, a tough transition into this slice, but I was looking yesterday at some of the comments that folks were making in light of the the shootings that took place over the weekend in Dayton and El Paso, and uh, obviously when these things happen, there's always this this uh, rush of people who are offering uh, their their prayers, offering their assessment uh, of what happened. Uh, uh, the, Trying to couch their thoughts about uh, how how sad it is and how devastated they are, along with some sort of attempt at uh, at finding a cause or a reason or what we can do as a society now to uh, to try to address this and and change the trend of of gun violence in this country. And one that came up uh, yesterday and over the weekend that I saw a lot of that I don't feel like I feel like when I was a younger kid, I remember after like Columbine, this reason started to be. Uh, I heard this, uh, and then it kind of fell away as a popular potential cause or, or scapegoat. And then it came up again yesterday was video games. Am I alone in that? Did yeah, you guys see no, people blame yeah, it, people talking about video too, games yeah. yet? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that was interesting. And I don't know. I don't know why. I, I don't think there was anything in the in the manifesto. Uh, from the shooter in El Paso that referenced video games. I don't know. There may have been some sort of. And there was a passing like Call of Duty reference. I, Call I of Duty reference yeah. to, oh, wow. to to video games. So obviously Call of Duty. Uh, there's a lot of uh, violence in that game. So I was curious about if there was any. There been any actual studies done? Like, is there any potential link between video games and violence? And it was actually interesting uh, for me to look into this a little bit. 
uh, mostly because it's um, very much, very much not the case that video games are can be associated with any sort of violence, at least by when it comes to countries. So this uh, website, then uh, this was compiled by by Vox, I should say. This website called Newzu did a study about the countries that uh, spend the most money on video games in the world, uh, the top 10. The number one country that spends the most money on video games is South Korea, where there's about $150 per person every wow. year that is spent <gasps> on games. $150 oh per gosh. person, averaged out. Averaged out. Uh, China's right behind them, and then the US comes in third place. Uh, and after that, it falls off quite a bit to countries like the UK, Canada, and Germany. Uh, and then, so that, so what Nuzu did is then compare those countries, those top 10 countries, with, uh, with rates of gun violence. Uh, as you uh, might expect if you've been following the news over the past 10 years, the US, in terms of uh, violent gun deaths, uh, there's 4.5 violent gun deaths in the U.S. per 100,000 people. Uh, that is, no other country comes even close to that. No other country even has one per 100,000 people. The closest competition we have there would be the U.K., which comes in at about 0.3. So it's yeah, and they don't uh, have guns. Wow. Yeah, and there's no, and obviously there's like a huge, which is you know, then you start getting into those other questions about the potential causes, like the rate, like just how many guns there are in the U.S. Uh, we the U.S. is a significant outlier in terms of how many guns. There are more guns in the yeah. United States than there are people. So that's huge. There is. I, I thought this was interesting. There is some light research to suggest that playing a lot of video games can lead to an increase in physical aggression. That is not. Uh, that's not a completely unfounded hypothesis. There's some research that points to that, but obviously that is also true in every country. That, uh, that there are people, video games are everywhere, and the people who play those video games a lot can. There is some link between their their aggression and the amount of games they play. But the U.S. is unique in terms of where that aggression might be taken out on. So I, I did think it was uh, for as often as it comes up, and as often as there's suggestions that video games should be regulated, and I don't think it's bad to be concerned about really vi- graphically violent video games. I think that is a there's a fair reason to think that maybe that should be we should be having a conversation about that uh, and, and some sort right. of what that could lead to. But uh in terms of tying that into what's happening with our with the mass shooting crisis, there's just not a link there. Yeah, it, because the the danger is it's deflecting like when 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 people sure. bring up stuff that there's no evidence has any correlation it's deflecting from an issue that actually has to be addressed, which is access to, right? You know, military grade firearms, which yeah. is mm-hmm. incredibly, you know, that that's one commonality seen in a lot of these is these, a lot of these shooters are armed with high capacity assault rifles, you know, right. yeah, and deflecting mm-hmm. that issue and, and putting the blame on something that there's no evidence that actually has any cause is really, is really dangerous. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating to see non evidence-based, you know, arguments uh, of how to solve this problem when it seems like the evidence should be pretty clear on what should be done from a legislative perspective. It it does seem like it's, it's a conversation that's so easy to derail because it's, it's, it's very, it's high emotion. And and I don't doubt that people do really care about this. Like nobody, nobody wants more of these people want to address it. I think we're aware that there is a unique issue in the United States with it, 
But when you start reaching for these, uh, the, like Jesse called them a distraction, when you start reaching for these ways to deflect the conversation away from things that we do have evidence about that, you know, that studies do can link to an increased rates of gun violence, then you do have to, you have to wonder why and you, and you have to wonder how can we, how can we focus on the actual problem? Like how do we yeah. put some parameters up around this conversation to make sure we don't veer off into partisan talking points or, or easy, like just balloons to pop when when the real and leave the real issue unaddressed so hopefully some of the i'd love to see the the research that we do have on games uh remove that part of the conversation or table that for a later day yeah i think it'd also be a good starting point to remember that the tragedy happened in dayton ohio not toledo well that's all right what do you have annie uh, we've talked a- around this topic before, but I thought, thought this particular article from Vox as well Huck, was really interesting. We're, we've talked about how um, the millennial generation talks about loneliness. And I thought this was interesting that 22% of millennials and what they're saying is that millennial, the millennial ge- generation is everyone who's about 23 to about 38. 22% of millennials say they have no friends, like no friends, zero friends. Yeah. And 27% say they have no close friends. 30% say they have no best friends. And this article is really interesting because they measured all the different age groups. They didn't go any younger than millennials and they didn't go older than baby baby boomers. But these middle three generations, millennial, Gen X and baby boomers, progressively people felt less lonely, millennials the most, and then um, Generation X and then baby boomers. But what I found really interesting about it is one thing is that they raised in the article that I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts is if, if it's true that our generational of millennials are the loneliest, what's going to happen, especially as people continue to feel more lonely in old age, like after 75, the loneliness massively increases and, and what's going to happen to millennials who already feel this lonely when they get to, as we continue to age, womp womp. But it's an interesting thought, right? I'm not going to age. What are you talking you about? Stay young forever. Young forever. I, it is interesting, Annie, because I, I came across this uh, study as well, and uh, I do think there's a. I uh, that's that's a fascinating idea, and I think your question is sort of key. Like, is the fact is there something unique about millennials that mm-hmm. leads to them having fewer friends or do just as people get older, do they find more? It's just that time right. to finding more close friends. I don't right. really know. I don't know the answer to that. And the survey didn't really get into the possibilities there. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the older you get, uh, it, I think we can attest to that. It kind of becomes harder to make friends post college. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not getting out. You've got family duties. It'd be, you don't go out and meet as many new people. Uh, but I could also see as you get older, it's just sort of, and this is where we could maybe, we need to maybe phone one of our, our a friend who's in the golden years of their life and they well, could speak well, some wisdom well, into us here. Well, they, they actually compared it to numbers with boomers and Gen yeah. Xers. We, yeah. And we, Jesse, we covered it. We yeah. Well, well, I'm just saying, but doesn't that indicate that it's not just, you know, like as you get older, it's harder to make friends, you know? Right. Well, the, the, that's my question is, is it, yeah. Is it uh is it harder to make friends or is there something unique about millennials? The unique about sort of the a the era we came of age in, social media age, digital age, whatever it is, uh, yeah. that makes 
that is making it more difficult to make yeah. and keep good all friends. These, all these youngsters spending all their time oh, on mindfulness the- apps and <laughs> tweeting <laughs> chants about how terrible this album is, and they uh, missing. Chatting with the, you know, with the, I did have, there was the one neighbors more, or people at the post. There was one more part whatever. of this article that I haven't read. I mean, we've read a lot of these and shared this, these kind of stats, but there's one part of this that I haven't seen anybody else say, which I thought was really interesting where this, this writer says, make no mistake. We need some stress and we need some amount of loneliness. The pain of loneliness is a reminder that we are social creatures who need other people. And it's also important to recognize that loneliness isn't the same as having few friends. It's the perceived social isolation that harms us. We can certainly have fulfilling, protective relationships with just a few people. I thought, man, that's a really insightful thing to say at the end of an article talking about how there's a chronic loneliness problem in millennials to go like, Hey, actually having some amount of loneliness is not bad. It reminds you that you're human and that you need social interaction. It's just when this becomes chronic and where it is affect the fullness of your life that you should be really concerned. Yeah. But I mean, th- this isn't necessarily a new trend. I mean, when did the book, Huck, you probably are aware the, the book Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. Or, yeah. 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 I mean, that, that book probably came out 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, you know, and it looked at like the, re- I think, it was looking at things like TV and and how that was changing social habits and people becoming more isolated and, you know, doing activities like bowling by themselves when a generation prior to that, it was like a communal activity. So, yeah, I, yeah. but that book, that book's been out for, like I said, I probably, I think over a decade, I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember, you know, that coming up in discussions, but it seems like just uh, that, that issue kind of being exponentially, um, more accelerated because mm-hmm. technology has given us more options to to isolate right, ourselves. Right, and I wonder know. if that's I I read a another part of that survey, and I'd be interested in you guys' thoughts on this part of it. Uh, it says that w- when people may ask the responders why they had a hard time making friends, um, not surprisingly, fifty three percent a huge a majority said they were just felt they were too shy, shyness. That's what they blamed. Oh, but number yeah. two. 27% said they just didn't feel like they needed friends, uh, which really surprised. And I was wondering, does anybody on this, I, I don't know, does anybody on this pod feel like you could relate to that? Feel like, I just don't feel like I need friends. Zero percent. Well, we all me. have friends. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to think like, okay, so even dating has changed. I mean, so sure. like now, you know, there's an entire generation coming up that like, you know, what's the point of dating? Sex. And so if I want sex, I can go on this app, swipe, 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 boom, I can have sex tonight. You know, it's like, so now the whole, pursuit of getting to know somebody and group dates and like all that is different. You know, like I'm thinking back to like the nineties, like you had to call somebody, you had to go out with friends, you hung out after youth group. You, I mean, like you had to like, you know, make friends. You had to, and now you Uh don't, you can go home you can tweet whoever you can text whoever you can post on Instagram and comment and like whatever. And you're getting like a version of social interaction or fulfillment, but it's like not building actual friendships. Right. So it's kind of like friend porn. Like it, yeah, it provides it the illusion. It provides the illusion of friendship without really giving you the delivering on the actual thing. Right, yeah, like, right, right. Yeah, huh. it is huh. that. It's a lot of you know a lot of people and you have a lot of acquaintances, but that person who just shows up and spends the day with you and you guys just go to Target together and like you just don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's just different now. It's yeah, uh, yeah and even if you weird. do do that now it's different than 10 years ago because we're on our phones anyway yeah you know like i was with some friends in new york last week and we were in a coffee shop and we just had like 
10 minutes or something. And one of the girls says, okay, phones away. We're going to do the, we're going to do where I'm setting a timer. We're going to do eight minutes with no phones. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was a great idea, but I also was like, this is embarrassing that we had to have this moment (laughs) of like, let's be so intentional that we're setting a timer to not touch our phones, you know? And I just thought, man, I, I remember when, when you didn't know where everybody was and you didn't know what everyone was doing and you were just wherever you were, you were with the people there. And I'm not great at that. I'm working at it, but I'm not great at that. I was at a wedding over the weekend, a destination wedding went over the weekend. We had a basket, drop all the phones in. Yeah, in did house. you right so at the start? To, yeah, that little, yeah, just to. Yeah, but that was up. because the pastor said some really controversial, horrible things during the ceremony. We didn't know at the time, but it was what, a good thing. Did he you was love it? Was it fun sure. or did you hate it or what'd you think? Uh, no, it was fine. I mean, it was out It was, it was out in Colorado, so we didn't have the, uh, we wouldn't have had a ton of service anyway. Phones yeah. Would, were more or less useless, but yeah, it was. They were good. They were old friends. It was, it was good to. It was not a. It was not a big problem. Yeah. For me, and there was. It was a kind of a difficult week on social media. Weekend on social media, anyway. So probably spared ourselves sure. a lot of uh, complicated, sad uh, feelings over the course yeah. of, a, of what was supposed to be a celebration. The weekend. Yeah. I find myself on my phone very little anymore. If I really? if the phones on my if the phone's in my hand, I'm it's Candy Crush. I, I like I like the whole like social media stuff. Like I I just find myself reading it less and less and less and texting less and less and less. I just and it's no it wasn't a conscious decision. It was just I don't know. It just feels like I just kind of went off the treadmill. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it, like what's the point? It's a yeah, little predictable. Like, so getting yeah. a little bit like like I think I feel like I've got like. I, that's the same way I have to do it. Like, it's going to be the same mix of kind of like this comment, these news, the texting I'll do, but but the social yeah, te- media is losing text- its luster. For me, huh. texting, I, I do in bunches. Like when I pick up my phone, there's like five. Okay, fine. Here, bop, 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 bop. I'll uh-huh. answer yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I don't really go back to it till later in the day. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't know. Like, I think maybe it's because I have a kid and this is the generational thing. Like, I was just like, I'm aware of screens in his face, you know? And it's like, oh, sure. Kids mimic what they see. And I do not want his childhood memories to be that dad's face was buried in his freaking phone, you yeah. know? And so, like, mm-hmm. dinner, it ain't anywhere near us at dinner. I'm cooking dinner. I'm like, we're going to go do stuff. We're going to, like, get out of the game room. We're going to, like, let's go, you know? I'm, I'm trying to, like, set that I, life I, I have a hard time balancing it because like last night I was at a baseball game with a handful of my like really close friends and a work thing came up at like 930 last night that kind of needed to be dealt with and in my mind I thought oh this is great I'm still with my people I'm just texting and figuring this thing out real quick <clears throat> and at one point I noticed one of my friends kind of give me not a, not a mean look but kind of this look of like Hey, hey, we're here. Yeah, we're here. And I was going, like, no, game. I am here. Like in my mind, I was like, I am here. Look. I'm oh, it's like, such a shameful feeling. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I mean, I want to so put my phone seen. away, but I, yeah. and my other option is get up and walk away and be by myself uh-huh. dealing with this. I don't want to do that. I, well, yeah. and so it's this weird balance that I don't love having to figure out, but, but I'm having to figure it out of like, how do we do that? But you know, sure. the, the thing it's, it's, it's the, ho- it's the convention lobby situation. So like, if you go to like a Christian conference or something like that, like or or you're at some mixer or a or networking event or a whatever. Mixer. I hate those things. But like, okay, it's like you're talking to somebody, and that person's looking over your shoulder to see if there's somebody else they'd rather be talking to, and right. they're biding their time with you until there's oh, and they're like gonna move on. 
I've experienced that so much in my life that if I'm talking to somebody, whether I know you or not, if we're in that situation, I'm locked in. I don't care if there's somebody standing there waiting to talk to, to us or you or me. Like I am locked in. I'm present. I'm here with you. You know what I mean? And like the phone thing is that. Like if I'm if you're physically with me, but you're on your phone, you're not you're saying to me that whatever's on your phone is more important to you than me. Mm-hmm. So don't be with me. Just go step away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like to me, it's it like, you're Cameron not doing, giving me that look last night. You're not doing me any favors by being somewhere else, you know, like on your phone, you know, it's like, just go deal with it and come back and be present. You know, yeah, like but my to me, Instagram seven is once all. So I want to be with my people and I want to be working because I have to, I have to, I hate using that word, but because I just needed to deal with something real quick. Yeah. I have this app I could point you towards that would <laughs> maybe help you be a little more mindful. And I, th- I think it's really good. <laughs> it's called gonna, Candy Crush. It's, it's, called it, candy it, crush. It, it's like when we were at Lollapalooza this weekend and I got a call and me and Cameron were talking about righteous gemstones and yeah. the hilarious scenes. And I picked up the phone. And I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Obama, I will call you back. I'm talking <laughs> to my friend about right. the righteous gemstones. And I was he locked said, in said, call me and president. I was present. He said, it's an, a national, it's a matter of national security. And I said, I'm talking about the righteous gemstones with Cameron. And that's an inspiration. And Nothing inspiration. in that moment oh, was more Lord. important. And it meant a lot to me, Jesse. I appreciate you rebuffing Obama for our conversation. It, it, hey, you know, priorities. my priorities are right. And then me and Cameron both found Chance the Rapper and yelled at him and told him how much we didn't like his album. It was a real bonding experience. I felt, when I put other people down, sometimes I feel better about myself. And I think when we found yeah. Chance and did that, I think, yeah. Cameron, I don't know about you, but I felt pretty good. Yeah, I yeah. made my weekend. Really built me up. All right, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Joe Saxton joins us. Hey everyone, it's Mike Donahue of 10th Avenue North. I want to share with you about my new book, Finding God's Life for My Will. It's a little play on the age-old question, what's God's will for my life? And throughout my life, God has shown me over and over how to flip those kinds of questions on their head. And maybe instead of asking God's will for my life, I need to be asking what God's life for my will is. Where do I need to change? Maybe God isn't giving us the plan because he wants to be the plan. I hope you check out my new book, Finding God's Life for My Will. Listen to Grizzfolk. The song is Hurricane. Well, Joe Saxton is a speaker and host of the podcast, The Lead Stories. She's also the founder of the leadership nonprofit, The Easer Collective, and the author of the book, The Dream of You, Let Go of Broken Identities and Live the Life You Were Made For. Uh, She was one of the 40 artists, influencers, activists, leaders, and thinkers to take part in a series of roundtable discussions about the future of the church, culture, activism, and intentional living in the 100th issue of Relevant, which is out now. Joe uh, spoke with us about calling, purpose, and living lives that make an impact in the marketplace and in our communities. 
Um, Jesse, you uh, talked to her. Tell us about it. Yeah, I was really excited to talk to her because in addition to being, you know, a really notable spiritual leader, she's also an expert in leadership and does consulting with entrepreneurs and, and, and people in that space. So I was really excited to include her in the life section because she has experience on both sides. You know, she runs a leadership nonprofit in addition to being, you know, like I said, someone who is, is a great Bible teacher too. So her, I really wanted to include- And a fantastic accent to boot. Oh, a great accent. As people are, as people are about to hear. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was really excited to include her in in the section, of the, like the life section of the issue, where we talked about a lot of issues in, involving intentional living. And that's why I, I kind of wanted to start with her and talk about, you know, how do you find a balance between pursuing a calling, but also working a job that might not align with that greatest sense of purpose? I feel like a lot of our listeners might find themselves in that. They fit, might feel called to something different than what they do for a vocation or perspective. And I wanted to ask her specifically, how do you find that balance? And here's what Joe had to say. Oh, I think balance is such a hard word as well. I think there is a rhythm to it. And I think we, I would, what I often encourage um, young, young adults to consider is that when we look at the Bible, we are looking at people who are looking, often looking back on their lives when it comes to calling, when it comes to their destiny and their purpose. We're often looking at God. Like, you know, when we look at Jeremiah 29, um, 11, I know the plans I have for you. That was to a people, not an individual. Uh, you know what I mean? And we've internalized it and applied it on a personal level. And I'm not saying there isn't some resonance there, but contextually, it was to a people. Um, and I think it's good to say, well, Daniel had this call to do this thing. Did he know at the time, or was he just doing what had to be done at the time? Um, and, and so that's one thing I often get people to think through, thinking, how much did they really know was their calling? And how much upon reflection do people see the kind of thread of God's faithfulness um, building a way through? Uh, and I, I think we can get passionate about getting rid of our debt. <laughs> you know, I think we can get passionate about paying our bills. And it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it, it is liberating. It is freeing to put yourself in a healthy place financially. Um, and it may mean that some of your, not all of your passions are realized all at once. But I think, again, when we look at the arc of scripture and we look at the, I mean, Jesus was in his 30s when he started, when he started things. I think we can see plenty of biblical examples of people doing things for a while, for a chapter of their lives. We don't get to, there's not many characters where we get to see the whole of their lives. What we often see actually with the ones where we see a longer arc, like a Joseph or a David, is that they got the opposite of what they were dreaming of for years. I, I really like her perspective there because it's about, you know, for, for her and her advice, it's about a holistic approach. Am I serving God every day with my life? Not just, oh, I have to, once I achieve this goal or reach this platform or, you know, get this promotion, then my calling starts. You know, from her perspective, you know, this is a daily thing. This is, am I pursuing a relationship with God and service to other people every day? Because if you do that, your calling will eventually, you know, come and fall into place after you're able to have some reflection. And that kind of led me to ask her, you know, how do we find, you know, what we even consider our calling? How do we mm -hmm. find what we think those bigger things are? And here's what Joe had to say about that. I'm a firm believer now. I don't think I was 20 years ago, but I'm a firm believer now, looking back, that we are often called and sent to the life we already have. Now, I don't mean that in abusive situations or terrible things like that. I mean, if I'm a barista in Starbucks that day, how, is, how, how do I get to be a walking and talking overflow of the kingdom of heaven in that space? How do I get to be ethical in that space? 
how do I get to be an influencer for the for the common good in that space? I think we get those opportunities, and um, and I think we get to be faithful with this. With this, how do we make a, a faithful investment where we are? But I would recommend also keep your eyes open, keep looking up, keep praying up. Um, but saying, okay, God, I feel called to these big things. Are there people that I need to talk to or things I need to know? Are, are there other courses of study? Uh, I feel like I accidentally got a number of things right. I don't think I was focused like this. I, I look back and think, oh, that was a really good job. I took that course <laughs> or that I made a commitment to that, that, that family or I got to know those relationships or I took that risk. Um, because I think we sometimes see waiting as a passive activity, but theologically, are on the, and um, basically the word for waiting is a really proactive word. It's like a waiter, kind of, how about this? And how about this? And here's a special, and how about this? And I think when we get passive with our callings and wait, it's, wait for it to be dropped on our lap, it can be a source of real frustration and disappointment. Yeah. That, that, anytime someone drops a Bible word off the top of their head in the original language, but she knew what the, the original Bible word for waiting was, you know, in the context of answering a, a question that I feel like I really love that answer because it's like what we were talking about earlier. If you're waiting to arrive, you might not ever get there and you might not mm-hmm. ever make the impact. But if you look at, well, God has me right here, right now, this is how I can make an impact. I think, you know, that enables God to kind of trust you with more and more. If you're faithful with where are you at, with where you are at, and she actually gave a really great example of that from the Bible, because I feel like sometimes that's easier said than done. Like, yeah, well, sure, you can say Jesus didn't start his ministry until he's in his 30s, or it's good to, you know, even if I'm a barista right now, I'm living this life of purpose. And But what's what's a practical example of that? And like I said, she's a great Bible teacher, and she pointed to Joseph and what we can kind of ascertain from his story. And here's here's how she explained it. What I found again and again and again is that our frustrations and our waiting can be a character development thing. I think it's what we, again, we see in Joseph. I think we see his character shift from this self-centered, hi, I'm the center of the universe. How's God going to make my dreams come true? To the point where when he's finally given his moment to shine, he gives God all the glory. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we see that arc throughout his life. That he, he's faithful and diligent and God's favor is on him all the time and his character is maturing. I think we see in David, um, we see highs and lows of his journey and all of these things which prepare him. You know, he learned how to lead in his wilderness period. Same with Moses. You know, he learned how to lead the people of God when he was working with sheep. Um, and, and I wouldn't want to miss that for any of us, those opportunities for the relationships will grow in, the, in those times, the character formation, the spirit. Because that's a spiritual thing too, isn't it? That's part of our calling to um, be more and more conformed into God's likeness and to be and to know Him better and to grow with Him. And uh, and our character has always been more important than our gifts, always. Yeah, I, that that Tyler, I, I, it looks like you have a reaction there, but I feel like that that's just that idea of like, well, this waiting isn't just testing my patience. This is preparing me for what could possibly be next. It reminds me a lot of there's that there's that really lovely passage in uh, in Tolkien's one of Tolkien's books uh, about how the people who live the best stories had the greatest stories that we read about in our history books. If you were to ask them during while those things were happening, they probably wouldn't be aware or notice that they're living out uh, this yeah. great legendary arc. They, they it doesn't you don't realize that until long after it's over. And when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't always look all that fun, or, or certainly it can be really hard and even really discouraging and depressing because it's tough work. But I think Joe, 
uh, by taking the longer view here, um, the people who are faithful to just keep on doing the next thing and taking the next step are the people who end up writing some really beautiful uh, stories. And and that's hard to remember, but it's a lot better than waiting around for your uh, arc to all take place in one day with a golden sign from God. Yeah. Jesse, you said that sentence and it sounded like a, you're, you're saying a Rich Wilkerson Jr. Chad Veach sermon. You're like, <laughs> you're like, waiting isn't testing my patience. It's preparing me mm. for the oh, future. Oh. Yeah. Like, you, you if you're listening, you I will I, you know, invite me <laughs> yeah. to Sunday service. It's funny you say yeah. that, Cameron. I am wearing a $9,000 watch right now. <laughs> <laughs> a brand new pair of Yeezys. And I just hope Chance is listening to this episode, too. Where See, Chance, we all can, you patience. don't realize it when you're in the story. It's but. preparing me for what God has for my future. <laughs> Come on, I now. don't know what it is. I don't know what it is dude, with the algorithm. Dude, it's, it's that Instagram clip where they put the words on it. You're the way you yeah, hit the p it. words it's perfect yeah. waiting is I know just what it testing is. my patience I follow all those guys but uh, preparing me for, i'm becoming no, the thing i fear the most yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen i'm just a guy who talked about tails for 10 minutes don't compare me i'm i'm not at that level okay uh finally um the other thing i loved uh, I, I was really appreciative of having joe saxon in the magazine is you know she does have that leadership organization she's able to mentor and talk to a lot of young uh, people who are wanting to make an impact to the world. And I kind of wanted to drill down, you know, one of the things we wanted to do in the roundtables uh, was not just uh, kind of address some of these these issues about the intersections of faith and culture and intentional living, but also what's the future going to look like? How can we make an impact moving forward? What are the What's the next chapter going to look like? And I specifically want to ask her, because she interacts with so many young leaders is the role that, you know, things like social entrepreneurism and the marriage of innovation with calling, um, what the purpose is in the chapters of pain. <laughs> Here's better. Not that, really. This is more. Keep it workshop it a little I'll bit. I'll be honest. This is more about social entrepreneurism. Here's what <laughs> Joe had to say. My hope is that it, it's a way of us reclaiming because it's, you know, we've seen these things in, in different periods of history where we've seen the church engage with the world in a more tangible way. If this can be a chance for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, if this can be a chance for us to not just say you come to us, but we come to you and we do it in a way which is not, um, um, colonization. We do it in a way which is not about our privilege and power, but is actually about human flourishing and demonstrating good news, being good news. I think there's massive of potential to go to people and places that the church never gets to, but also to do so in a way which um, is holistic and healthy and empowering. I think it could be a wonderful opportunity for us, but I think it will require resilience in our part. And a create and and I, I love the creativity like you describe. I, I love seeing that creativity because we need these ideas. We need to think not just how do we fix the world, but how do we empower people and how do we invest, how do we make all things new? How do we be part of what God is doing in the world? Um, and how do we serve Him and serve others? And that's a lot of what I'm seeing with um, in social entrepreneurs that there there is a recognition that humanity is made in the image of God and it hasn't always been treated as such. And some of these initiatives um <clears throat> affirm that again yeah 
is powerful stuff. That's People great. need to read issue 100 because it's packed full of gems like that. Uh, if, if you don't get it on Instagram via a 10 second power clip, like I just demonstrated, uh, go get issue 100 because people like Joe and a lot of brilliant, awesome people spoke into it. And, uh, yeah, I was excited that, that she took part and, and talked to us today. That segment was not a practice in patience. It was preparation for what God <laughs> is going to have us do now that we've heard it. Perfect preparation prepares people purpose <laughs> I, I call this i call this lesson it's, an it's five p's it's five p's people purpose preparation perfection patience people patience uh pay less pay less shoes um pomegranates uh philippians and paul peter paul peter patience for the purpose that god has designed you for perfection perfection i don't think it's perfection yeah, I'm just rambling P words, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> These mean nothing. These very Instagrammable. Yeah. All right, stay tuned. Up next, it's your feedback. Listening to Wilderness as long as hell or high water. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Well, last week we asked you to tell us something from your childhood that's maybe looking back unintentionally creepy. You know, like we were talking about <laughs> the homemade cabbage patch dolls that look that that look like me. My Cameron, grandma somebody made. put a cabbage patch doll that looked like them on Twitter. Do you see it? Yes. Yes. You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and told us some of the things from your childhood that uh, are pretty creepy. They didn't stand the test. They didn't age well. Yeah. Uh, to the one that uh, Andy's referencing, Jeremy uh, tweeted us, said, my aunt made me a fake Cabbage Patch doll to look like me when I was a kid. And mom hung on to it for 35 years. And when I asked, she knew right where it was. And he sent an image. And Jeremy, apparently, when he was not bald, had red hair because the cabbage patch doll has red hair. <laughs> and it's a very good picture. It's a very, it's, this is a very, uh, not in the sense that the cabbage patch doll looks like Jeremy because yeah. it does not. It looks Sorry like to Jeremy's doll. mom, but, yeah. but it's a very, but the picture is very compelling. And the, the thing about mine, looking at his, his was cabbage patch doll sized, like the kind you buy at the store. Right. Mine yeah. was about a foot, foot and a half taller. And the eyes were, oddly large and yes. hand painted on the fabric so they didn't look right you know <laughs> and the hair was brown and straight and just always sticking out on anyway it was very unsettling all right yeah. uh there's a lot more where that came from well listen stacy talked about Babyland general which is where the cabbage patch doll cabbage patch dolls are born and uh -huh. i have been there 50 times because it's in North Georgia what? and it, uh-huh. What? There's doctors. They set an alarm saying okay. there's a, there's a new baby being born and you what? go and they pull them out of a cabbage. It's amazing. Wait, still? Yes. Annie, I saw a picture of this and it wasn't clear from the image. Like, so it, it, it's basically like a cabbage patch with all these cabbages. Leaves a literal patch. With, 
with baby heads sticking out and they're kind of slowly swaying back and forth as if they're leaves in the wind. The the movement. No, no, they don't stick out all the time. That one's that's when they're getting ready to be born. She's just that's just a video of it being about to be born. I I, see. But she didn't specify in the tweet. I didn't know Babyland General Hospital was the Cabbage Patch uh, uh, Children Factory. I thought that was like an installation at a real maternity ward or something. And I'm like, there's nothing not creepy about this. A a hospital called Babyland. Y'all should go. It's so cool. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) I I like Cindy's. It was a lot of doll stuff. Uh, Cindy had had uh it, it was a, a little clip from a cabbage patch uh uh baby commercial from evidently back in the day it is a cabbage patch doll riding a jet ski <laughs> like like <laughs> what are they even imitating <laughs> babies don't ride jet skis it'd be impressive if they could but yeah i thought the whole thing was you were supposed to like simulate what it's like having a baby you know you go to the, the creepy maternity ward in cleveland georgia which i didn't even yep. know i thought it was a type I didn't know there was a Cleveland and you know all of a sudden you got one riding a jet ski it makes no sense well there's a lot more uh, feedback where that came from they are all doll related and you know let's just as a society learn that lesson dolls are creepy all right Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Well, earlier in the show, we got talking about like de-stressing mindfulness apps, games, distractions, things got us thinking what is the best way to kind of take a breather for a few minutes, yeah, like yeah. throughout your day or at the end of your day? Uh, what do you do? That's what we want to know. What do you do to de-stress kind of throughout the day? Uh, take little, you know, what is that? Not staycations, but little like personal. Yeah. Like, what is that? A little, five little, yeah. little five minute me time. You yeah. know, there like, should be a word for this. I, I feel like we're, we're circling around. Like, I wish there was a word like a quick yeah, me, to like vacation. It's as simple as that. And, and nothing, and guys, nothing obvious like tweeting Chance the Rapper about the new album, how it's not right. that great. We all have been we doing know. that. Everyone right. has been we doing know. that. It's no, no obvious stuff. Give us something that's unique to you. Well, yeah, what do you do? That's what we want to know. There's no wrong answer here, but what do you do when you have a few minutes? You just kind of want to like flip your brain off. Do you scroll Twitter? Do you, you know, go on Instagram? Do you, you know, what do you do? That's what I, we want to know. I, I let out a blood curdling awful violent scream once an hour and it is just i just feel like a new man every time <laughs> every single time the police have shown up but i tell them i tell them <laughs> that's just de-stressing and let me let me ask you this when's the last time de-stressing when did that become against the law officer you know and then i scream right there i scream again and i feel better so hit us up on twitter at relevant podcast and tell us your tips or what you do to de-stress throughout the day uh, before we wrap things up, I want to tell you, we do have a correction and apology. This one's bad. Sarah hit us up and said, while listening to last week's podcast, you mentioned definitively, I'll add that, that there are no more Chi-Chi's in the world. Well, <laughs> my family was visiting Luxembourg recently oh. and stopped at one for nostalgia's sake. So apparently Europe has all the Chi-Chi's. Okay. If you're touring, you know, the beautiful cities of Europe and you, and you find yourself in Luxembourg, go yeah. enjoy some Luxembourgian cuisine. Don't eat at Chi-Chi's. That's like going to Sbarro if you're in, you know, Naples, Italy. In your mind, what is... Luxembourgian cuisine. Probably some kind of weird meatball with gravy on it. <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, I mean, Tyler, that's fair. Right? Or some kind of gross I fish. Think, it's like a really gross I think it's fish. Like, yeah, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing like 
it's not it's not a raw fish, but it looks raw. Like they did something <laughs> like, to it. It's like it's a fully cooked fish, but for some reason it just comes out and looks like a fish. You know? Yeah, yeah, they did it. They put it in the oven. I can yeah. tell you from all the travels I've done over the years, there's nothing better after you've been out of the U.S. for yeah. a few days. It's got to be more than a few days. But if yeah. you're on a week long vacation in Europe or something like that, and you're eating on the local cuisine and whatever, and you turn the corner while you're passing through Luxembourg and you see a Chi-Chi sign, I'm telling you, you are stopping. You're going in. Because what? the 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 oasis of an, an American taste yeah. in the middle of a, a long bout of experimentation, yeah. is, oh, there's nothing better. I'm I, sorry, but dude, I fully support Sarah's family going to Chi-Chi's in Luxembourg. Hey, I ate at Pizza Hut three times when I was in Budapest, and I do exactly. not apologize for that. <laughs> exactly. I, and, they, and you know what? Over over there, American restaurants are a big deal. There's like a, 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 a you know, you go in and they greet you and they seat you and you have a waiter. It's 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 the best version of our restaurants. It's it's like a Chi-Chi's, but even better than you remembered because they're, they're aren't you know the floor isn't all sticky and they're not wiping down the table with the same rag that they just flushed the salsa nozzle out with it's delightful over there so good on you yeah the salsa nozzle what near mind are they doing in the back of a chi cheese it's It's basically like a little little water gun no it's a pump and it's like oh oh you know need more salsa hang on <laughs> it's called clogged up. Get that rag you just wiped the tables with. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Now it's flowing. Uh, it was just a just an old rotten onion clogging it up. So we're good. Uh, somehow beans got they, up in there. You don't think they ladle the salsa at Chi-Chi's? No, I, I think, see a big pot. No, I see like a big vat, and they just have like these little you like know, a hose. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a salsa hose, and there's just one and guy, just... and it gets clogged all the time. It's a terrible system, <laughs> but they got a bunch of they got a bunch of old gross wags that they just you know jam up there, and it's all good. Don't worry, the guy's then, wearing a tail, so he's not going to fall put over. A, put a thumb over the he, nozzle, and they can just spray the entire bat. They just like, put all the chips out there. Just... He, he's he's wearing a tail, so he can really put some muscle into it when the thing clogs. Like, <laughs> oh there it was it's just a big clog oh that was a big clog that's okay the salsa's the salsa's all better now who knows how long that clog's been there though so full well, speed uh, ahead uh, before we wrap things up uh season two of unedited with cameron strang my long form interview podcast uh debuted last week with christine kane go check it out we have a great lineup of guests this season uh, you don't want to miss it. Hey, if you like this podcast, make sure to help us spread the word by leaving a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. We've been doing this for 2014 years now. August. August is wow. our anniversary. Like right now, the beginning of August. Uh, August of 2005 was when we debuted the relevant podcast. And so it's been 14 years this week. That's kind of nuts. There you go. We have some listeners younger than the show, I bet. I, I don't we know. probably oh. do. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. That that's that's weird. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I know we'll wrap things up. Many thanks to Quip for helping make the episode possible. Remember, Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash relevant right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. Also, thanks to Tyndale House and their new book, Healing Depression for Life. You can pick up your copy of Dr. Gregory Jansen's new book in bookstores everywhere. And also, thanks to Joe Saxon for joining us. Make sure to check out more of the conversation with her and other leaders in the 100th issue of Relevant, which is out now. You can view it at relevantmagazine.com and pick it up at newsstands nationwide. Joe Saxton, 
She's awesome. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Annie F. Towns. We will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Beautiful people. Top designer clothes. Front row fashion shows. What you do and who you know. Inside the world of beautiful people. Champagne and roll up molds. Breathing up some broken holes. Surrounded but still alone. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Relevant Podcast Network.